Welcome everybody to XA Live Chi Alpha at UNC. We had hoped to, to have you in person on campus this week, but obviously that is not to be. But never fear, we're going to continue meeting on Wednesday nights through XA Live on YouTube with a link to our Zoom room so you can connect with fellow Tar Heels, you can be prayed for, you can have questions answered. So there's going to be a lot more to it than just me talking to you tonight. If I've not had the opportunity to meet you just yet, my name is Joe Newell. I am the director of Chi Alpha at UNC. And uh, we just want to extend to those of you that are new a great big welcome to Carolina and welcome to Chi Alpha. We're kicking off tonight our series called The Good and Beautiful God. We're borrowing that title from James Bryan Smith's book. And so we're going we're gonna to answer a few questions tonight. We're going to wrestle with a few things. It's all going to be good stuff. So here we go. You guys ready? You know, to say that we are living in a time where everything seems to be changing or uncertain or divisive or dividing, you know, that's an understatement. I think if you're like me at times, you've been angry, frustrated, maybe even depressed. As we try to make sense of all the changes and all the things that are happening right now, we're also in an election season. And so we're wrestling with way too much us versus them. Vote blue, vote red. Every time I turn the TV on, it feels like I'm living inside a commercial. You know, it's like, hey, you got a problem? We have the solution. Here's the answer that's going to fix everything for, for your life. It's just what you need. And yet we know somehow deep inside that life's a bit more non-compliant to that type of sales pitch, if you will, to that type of story or narrative. It's somehow messier, more complex, more personal even, and certainly at times more elusive. So the question is, how do we make sense of today? How do we make sense of ourselves in it? I mean, we are bombarded by narratives or storylines, if you will, and the questions rise pretty quick. Who's telling us the truth? Or even a more difficult question, are we telling ourselves the truth? There are narratives in the media, social platforms, relationships. We have narratives or storylines in our families, in our cultures, in our religion, and even in our own minds. We need in this time, maybe more than ever, but always in our lives, clarity, soberness, peace, and above all, we need the truth. The truth about who God is and who we are in this world as a result having been made in His image. So I want to start off tonight by giving you a few questions, not asking you to answer those right now, obviously. But I want to ask you this, what are you looking for? Do you want peace when everything else seems chaotic? Would you like to have a heart filled with love for your neighbor, the immigrant, the stranger? Would you like to have the kind of faith that sees everything, even your failures and losses, in light of God's goodness and purpose? That would be helpful. Would you like to have the kind of hope that endures even in discouraging circumstances? So what is the story? What is the narrative that you want to write today? And however you answer these questions, to answer well with our lives, we need a few things. Perspective would be really helpful. Wisdom would be very helpful. And sometimes we need to change. We need to examine in this day and age in our own lives anyway, the way we think, the way we react and respond, the way we view others, the way we serve, or even the way we surrender when it comes to our relationship with God. We have to recognize what is influencing all of that in our lives. Here's something I really want you to anchor yourself in tonight as you're thinking about this and listening. The way we think 
is determined by the narratives we embrace. Let me say that again. The way we think is determined by the narratives we embrace. We turn everything into story because that's the way we make sense of life. We are shaped by our stories. It's not surprising then that there's such a battle, whether it be the media or social platforms or our group of individual discussions, for what the narrative is. What's the true narrative? And who's in control of it anyway? Whichever story, whose ever story, we embrace dominates, influences, and changes the way we think about ourselves, each other, the way we think about God, and the world around us. So it's in that context that most often, I think, we try a false narrative that usually leaves us pretty frustrated, which is to try and create our own stories about ourselves using the other influences around us to figure out how we're going to fit into the bigger story. Now that sounds confusing, but it's like this. It's as if we can simply will ourselves into the story we want to have or the person that we want to be. But we've discovered change is not quite that easy or self-controlled or self-determined. And in fact, what do you do when your own definition, your own story about yourself falls short or leaves you with more questions? You see, what happens is we try very often to live out this false narrative. What is the false narrative? Here it is. We believe that we change by our own willpower. New Year's resolution, anyone? 95% of which fail by the end of the first month. How about that pledge to yourself that you're going to have better study habits and I'm going to work through that syllabus in small bites and chunks so I don't get overwhelmed by it at any point during the semester. Or I'm going to get more consistent rest so you know, I'm alert and well and, 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 and in the middle of my relationships. See, we often think if I just had more willpower, I could finish. I would eat better or I would just be improved in general. But the will does not have the power to actually change anything. Let me give you an example. A friend of mine uh, has had his grandson over at a pool party at his house. And his grandson's about four or five years old. He's standing on the edge of the pool and he says, watch this, Papa. And he tightens up his fist and he scrunches up his face as hard as he can. You just see the tension in his body from top to bottom, right? And he scrunches down and in his mind, he's going to leap high into the air and the biggest cannonball splash you ever see, you've ever seen is going to occur. And so he scrunches down and with all his might and all his power, he jumps and he comes off the pool deck about that far. And he lands right back where he started in the first place. Not quite what he had in mind, but a pretty good picture of us. And we just try to will something into happening in our own lives. You see, the will is a person's capacity to choose. And it's most influenced by three things. The mind, the body, and our social context. See, what we think shapes our emotions leading us into our decisions and actions that flow out of it. And when the body has a need, for example, we, if we're hungry, we eat. If we're thirsty, we drink. If we're tired, we rest. And so it dictates how, what we think and what, how we behave. And finally, we're influenced by those around us. Peer pressure is obviously very real, and even more so today as we are being challenged to be on the right side of history, to be in the right causes and being pressured in those directions. But the reality is willpower by itself is not enough to change, to bring the change that we see or that we need. It's a direct assault on the change that we seek, but it's not a true narrative, it's a false one. Jesus' narrative, on the other hand, is very different. It's more indirectly 
but it also leads to direct change if practice. See, instead of just trying to create our own story and change, we choose to follow and practice what, follow the life of Jesus and how he lived and what he taught. And those little increments of following him every day, when we do that, this is what happens. We do what we can in order to enable us to do what we can't do directly. I'm going to give you an example from sports. Those of you that might be sports hungry, football might not be your thing, but it's one of my favorite sports. I've got a football here. You know, football is designed in a certain way that it flies through the air aerodynamically when thrown properly. Um, it's got laces on it to, to get a good grip. It's also got lots of these little bumps all over it, you'll see, to give it a good grip so, so that when players handle it, they can hold on to it, right, and, and play the game in the right way. On Super Bowl 41, there were two teams playing each other, the Colts and the Bears. Peyton Manning, quarterback in the Colts, Rex Grossman, quarterback in the Bears. And both quarterbacks had prepared for most of their lives, and certainly in the months leading up to Super Bowl 41 with these footballs, and they knew how to handle them. But they got to Super Bowl 41, and with all the will and, that they could muster up, they wanted to win that game, and they wanted to lead their team to victory. But something along the way that they hadn't planned for, at least one of them hadn't planned for, happened. It began to rain. Now, in Rex Grossman's case, the quarterback of the Bears, he discovered really quick that no amount of willpower was going to overcome what happened to this ball in the rain because when you, when you soak a football in water, it becomes very slippery. You can't really throw it very well. It's hard to hold on to when, somebody, when you're running with it or someone is trying to catch it. And so Rex Grossman fumbled the ball away three times in the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning on the other side seemed to have no problem with it. In fact, he threw it fine and, and his, his teammates caught it and they didn't, they didn't fumble the ball away. What was the big difference? They both were exercising willpower, but here's the difference. In the months leading up to the Super Bowl, Peyton Manning each week would have his teammates soak the footballs in water at practice, and he would practice with a wet football so they knew how to handle it when it came. See, if he'd have waited until the Super Bowl happened and just like, I'm just going to do it, he would have probably faced the same problems that the other quarterback had. And by the way, the Colts won the Super Bowl as well. You see, we change not by mustering willpower, but by changing the way we think when it comes to applying this to following Jesus, which in turn alters our actions and how we act within the broader culture and campus, uh, campus in our case. So what do we do? We've got to change our narratives. How do we change our narratives? I'm going to give you four things. First thing is, as I mentioned before, changing your mind. The Bible really challenges on this. Matthew 3, 2 says, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And you may think when you read that, it's like, what does that got to do with changing my mind? Well, when you get down to the original Greek language that it was written in, it actually literally means to change your mind. Repent can also mean to turn around and change directions. It can mean to be sorrowful for something you've done wrong. But at its core, it means to change your mind. Romans 12, 2, Paul reinforces this, this, this in the New Testament as well. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if you choose to follow Jesus, you are going to do that by being transformed in the way that you think and allowing Jesus and God's will to direct you. Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things that are above not on things of this earth. And so, little by little, we have to change our mind. Second thing is change your practices. 
James Bryan Smith, who we're borrowing the title of this series from this semester, calls this soul training, training your soul. Three things he points out, prayer, Bible study, and solitude, right? It's a stretching, it's a conditioning, it's a choosing of that which nourishes us, grounds us, gives us perspective and peace, which I would say we all not only need in the middle of a pandemic, we need every day of our lives. We need to be in prayer, we need to be in Bible study, and we need time alone with the Lord and with Holy Spirit, who we're going to talk about just now. You see, they have a therapeutic effect when we practice them, little by little, kind of like Kate Manning was preparing for that big moment, when we're preparing for the moments of our day, and the moments of this season of life. We need to practice little things along the way that prepare us for the bigger things. They can be challenging, but they're also strengthening. The more you practice them, the healthier your heart will become. But you don't do that just in a vacuum either. The third thing is this change comes well in community. Just as you choose to train your soul, you don't just do that 100% of the time by yourself. Athletes don't, do, don't train 100% of the time by themselves. In fact, most of the time they train with somebody else. Why? Because with others we're encouraged. With others we're challenged. Even picked up when we fail or feel discouraged. Humans are community dwellers. It's the way we're designed. Even the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, reflects a holy communion. Community allows for the positive influence of others as we seek to follow after Jesus' example day by day, step by step. And then lastly, change is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not familiar with the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is our unseen teacher that points us to Jesus and reminds us of His words. John 14, 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus is essentially saying to His followers, He's saying to me and you, if you want to follow me well, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. And what He's going to do is He's going to remind you of all the things that I've taught you. He's going to show you the way forward. You see, the Holy Spirit leads us away from false narratives and replaces them with the true narratives. John 16, 13 says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. How do we navigate all the false narratives out there? How do we navigate just narratives in general? We let the Holy Spirit lead us. You see, the Spirit changes our false narratives by bearing witness to the truth. Here's the one thing. If you don't walk away with anything else tonight, this is what I want you to walk away with. To live a good and beautiful life is to practice walking with Jesus and each other through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let's say that just one more time. To live a good and beautiful life is to practice walking with Jesus and each other through the leading of the Holy Spirit. He invites us to come and see. In Psalm 34, 8, He says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the fruit of spending time with the Holy Spirit day by day in prayer and Bible study and solitude and fellowship is this, Galatians 5, 22-23. The fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against things, such things there is no law. And I would add, against such things there is no false narrative in your life, in your own mind or anywhere else that can stand. So I want to give you a little bit of homework before we break out into our rooms. Have you practiced soul training exercises lately? And if you have, have you done it consistently? 
If you're just getting started or you're new to it, I want to highly encourage you to begin praying. I want to encourage you to begin studying the Bible. I want to encourage you to carve out time alone with God. Maybe your experience with the Christian community or fellowship's not been all that great over time, and I'm sorry if that's been the case. But I want to encourage you to stick with it because we were designed to be in fellowship and community and we are imperfect people no matter how long we've been in church. And lastly, I want to to leave you with this this week as you go. How do you see the Holy Spirit interacting with your thought processes, your spiritual disciplines or your soul training? How do you see Him involved in your community and in your fellowship? Let Him in today. I want to encourage you with all my heart to do so. And when you do all these false narratives, all the noise of the culture and the world, and even in our own minds, begin to fade back as the truth takes primacy, takes first place in our hearts and minds. God bless you guys as you go into the rooms tonight. We're grateful that you're here. God is with you always.